finally here which means a wild month and hopefully longer for Canadian soccer has arrived. The Canadian women's national team kick off their World Cup campaign on the 10th while the men's team start their Gold Cup campaign five days later. Expectations are high for both teams giving this summer a chance to be a pivotal moment for the program. My name is Mitchell Tierney and we will talk about both teams on this week's edition of the Footy Talks podcast. This includes a women's World Cup preview And a little bit later, we will also chat with Benedict Rhodes from Waking the Red about Toronto FC and the men's team. But first, we are joined by Sandra Prusina of 660 News, as well as a women's soccer contributor to Sportsnet. Sandra, thanks for taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me on. Much appreciated. Well, we're just 10 days away now from Canada's first game at the Women's World Cup against Cameroon. Last week, uh, the team revealed their 23 players who will pull on the red and white shirt in France this summer to represent Canada. Uh, what did you make of the, the roster for Canada and uh, the players Kenneth Heiner-Muller chose to, to represent us? I like it. I think it's a good mix of veteran and youth, and it's a lot of players that we're very familiar with. Obviously, you know, a lot of the veterans who may be playing in their third or fourth World Cup, they've won a couple of Olympic medals. And then you see a couple of these youngsters making their way through the system. They were part of the Excel program, whether it be as U15, U17, U20. And now they've graduated and they've made their way onto the senior team. So I think it's a good group. It'll give them a couple of options, especially, I think, in terms, I think the back line is more or less set. But when you look at the middle and you look at the strikers and things going on up top, there's a little bit of variety there. So depending on who the opposition is on that day, the coach will be able to manipulate his roster a little bit to their strength and what can give them the edge. So definitely, I think it's a it's a really good group. Yeah, certainly a lot uh, a lot younger of a group that we saw four years ago. I think the the average age of that team was twenty eight point two. It's twenty four point seven this time around, and uh, there was three players over thirty on on this. Uh, this year's roster. I know there was some injuries that uh, maybe meant a couple of others didn't uh, come with the squad as well, but there were actually 10 on the 2015 roster. So uh, a big difference in terms of the the veteran presence versus some of the younger players. I know three 18-year-olds as well, Jordan Heidema, uh, Julia Grosso, and uh, Jade Riviere as well. Um, What has kind of the youth movement meant for this team and, and the chances that they'll have at this World Cup? I think it's a really good time that that this World Cup has come about, because you just mentioned 2015, and the fact that Canada was hosting, it added a bit of a different element to a team, because like you said, you had that set of players that was uh, that were in the twilight of their careers, and how could you leave them off of a roster in their home country, right? So I mm-hmm. think that was such a huge variable for, you, you know, you think of Melissa Tancredi, Marie Abno, like like you said, so Lawrence Essam and those kinds of players, so how could you leave them off? And your roster for the World Cup is a little bit larger than your roster for the Olympics, so it's like, okay, we're going to give them a chance, enjoy this moment, so forth. And for, for this, this is great, because obviously we all know about Jordan Heidemann and what she's done at such a, such a young age, but I think we're now seeing the fruit of the labor of this Excel pathway and all three of these girls had spent time in the Vancouver 
regional program. Julia Grosso is a great story where she was with the U15s when they won the CONCACAF championship. Mm-hmm. She was outstanding at the U17 Women's World Cup in 2016. For me, she was actually the standout player for Canada. And I know Canada didn't qualify for the last U20 World Cup, but during those qualifications, I mean, you look at what Jordan Heidemann and Julia Grosso did. They're excellent, excellent players. So to see them get this opportunity, you mentioned there were a couple of injuries. So I think Jordan Heidemann would have made the team regardless, but I think the injuries opened the door just a little bit. I realized one of them was a goalkeeper, but regardless, I think it opened Mm -hmm. the door a little bit. So it's nice to see that for so long, Canada, especially the women's program, struggled with being able to close that gap from players that finish their youth soccer kind of are in college, but then they drop off and you're like, where do these girls go? So this is really seeing the fruits of that labor and what John Herdman instilled when he was hired back in 2011. Yeah, I think Christine Sinclair had a quote saying this is the team that she's been waiting for her entire career for <laughs> to come um for for canada so i mean if you want the tagline for this tournament for the canadian team if if you're tsn and looking for marketing i mean there's the perfect thing to say right there uh you mentioned john and she's not wrong right so yeah it, it is true i mean this this is certainly the most exciting collection of talent canada's ever had and uh, you know, like I said, 24.7. I mean, that's a perfect prime of their career that a lot of these players are in right now. So, uh, yeah, it definitely is exciting times. Uh, you, you did mention Herdman and the legacy he's left on this team, but um, certainly Kenneth Heinermuller has had an opportunity now to put his own stamp on this squad and, um, you know, maybe implement some things on on or by himself. Um, what have you made of his, his coaching philosophy so far and maybe some of the differences we've seen from... Uh, John Herdman and what he's been able to instill in this team so far? I think it's been a really good transition to begin. I think that obviously the personalities are different between John Herdman and Kenneth, obviously. You can just see that from an outsider rather than an insider. But I like what he's done in terms of the team. They're super stingy defensively. And that, mm. that back line is so solid. And even we saw Kadisha Buchanan was away but you have Sharina Zadorsky, who obviously is an outstanding center back, and somebody like Rebecca Quinn, who is a bit of a hybrid player for me, where she can play obviously on the back line as a CB, but then she can also play as a midfielder. And the way that he's allowed someone like Ashley Lawrence, and John Herdman, I believe, started this, but Kenneth has basically allowed Ashley Lawrence a little bit more space in terms of what she can do because she's Mm -hmm. so dynamic on the field and particularly having her as a fullback allows her to go back and forth and the formation that they play, you know, you're slipping those center backs back. So it allows your fullbacks to go forward a little bit. So I do like what he's done there. And I think he's been excellent in terms of minutes. I like what he's done with Adriana Leone. She, she's a bit of an enigma for me. I think Mm -hmm. when she first, finished her youth soccer, I thought she would be a starter and that's it. But to me, she's like this spark plug player that you can use with, let's say, 25 minutes to go. And she comes on as a sub and she just adds something completely different to what's happening on the field. Like, what is that saying about a bull in a china shop? (laughs) Something like that, right? That to me is what Adriana Leone does. And I like the way that 
Kenneth has been able to dispatch her. And I also like that he's not putting a lot of pressure right now on Jordan Heidema. He's giving, obviously, a lot of minutes to Jesse Fleming and mm-hmm. Janine Becky, who I think is such an underrated player. But he's putting Jordan in situations where she, she can succeed. And, of course, there's been press about her being the next Sinclair and so on and so forth. And that's just such a heavy backpack for a kid to carry. <laughs> yeah, so okay. just just working her way into the lineup and putting her in situations to succeed, I think, is huge. Yeah, what do you make of, of Canada's group going into this tournament? Because kind of curiously, I mean, it's almost the exact same group they had in 2015 in the sense that the Dutch and uh, New Zealand are there again. Uh, they have Cameroon this time instead of China, who they had in uh, 2015. But uh, Canada struggled a little bit uh, four years ago to to get out of that group. They did get out top, but uh, only scored twice. Um, I, I would expect the expectation is for them to top this group as well uh, this time around. Yeah, I would just put a little bit of an asterisk next to any results from the 2015 Women's World Cup, only because I think there was this extra set of expectations on the team, Mm -hmm. just given hosts and being constantly asked about, hey, what kind of legacy are you leaving in Canada? So I think this gives them such a clean slate. And I think of that game back in Edmonton against New Zealand, and that was probably Canada's poorest performance in 2015. They were lucky not to lose. I remember a ball going off the woodwork, and that would have actually, they would have lost that game. So I think they'd like a little bit of redemption against New Zealand. With Cameroon, you never know what you're going to get from an African nation because we all know how their work ethic is and their agility, and just they can run for days. And we don't know a whole lot about Cameroon. Luckily, I like that Canada played Nigeria recently so they could get at least a little bit of a glimpse of an African opponent and I think just to have Netherlands in the group it's it's a team that will keep you honest in a sense that you're not necessarily going to cruise to first place with the Dutch in your group right they're one of those European teams that are on the up and up I was just looking at the odds the other day and they actually have if you're betting you have they actually have the Dutch rated higher than Canada, which I thought was really interesting, right? So I think it's an ideal group for them. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that, that sounds about right. I mean, uh, in terms of, yeah, they'll be pushed a little bit and um, at the same time have a good opportunity to come out of this group. Um, yeah, definitely interesting that the Dutch are, are rated ahead of Canada by you know, odds makers, but, uh, you know, uh, at least in the Men's World Cup, it's always uh, European teams on European soil are always expected to do very well. So I wonder if that plays into it a little bit as well. Uh, But Canada is ranked fifth in the world, and um, they have had a pretty solid stretch against some of the top teams in the world in recent years. Um, Are they, you know, a legitimate contender going into this? Where do you see them in in kind of the hierarchy, and what what are the expectations for this group? I just think they're going to slide in real nicely because people really aren't talking about them. I know I talked about it before, and I mentioned there was so much pressure on the country four years ago, and everybody's like, oh, how are the hosts going to do? Are they going to crash out in the group stage, so on and so forth? They don't need to worry about that now. That's France's problem. You know what I mean? So they can just take care of their own business. They don't have to worry about thrones of media following them everywhere. They're just going to go about their training schedule, about their cool-down schedule, their mental mental training and all that kind of stuff, and they don't have to worry about anything else. So I think it's a perfect storm for them. Obviously, Sinclair 
forget her age. She's still at, at a peak form where she can be a player that can break open a game, like wide open. She can do what she wants. So I think a lot of people aren't really talking about Canada just because you have the usual suspects. Obviously, you have USA, you have Germany. I think people think Japan might do some damage. I have a different opinion about that. But England, to me, is a strong side. And I know some people have picked France. But unfortunately, France, even given all the talent that that squad has, they just haven't performed on an international stage when it comes to these big tournaments. Mm-hmm. So I think if I'm looking for a dark horse, I mean, that's such a cliche term, dark horse, but I think Canada and Australia, if you're like, hmm, I don't know who to pick, those would be my two picks. And I'm not saying this is a bias as a Canadian, but I just think Canada really can squeak in there without a lot of people noticing. Yeah, it's interesting. The, uh, the, the difference you mentioned between, you know, the last two world cups where last time it, all the pressure was on them. I mean, there were expectations going into the tournament of, of them winning it, which were, uh, I think, a little premature, maybe uh, hyped up a little bit considering, you know, uh, where the squad was at at that point. But this time, like you said, there just hasn't been that much chatter about this side. So, yeah, they'll go in a little bit under the radar, um, which which makes it interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit uh, about another topic now, that being uh, the Canadian Premier League and Cavalry FC, who uh, I know you cover for the Canadian Premier League website. Um, I mean, what a start to their, you know, their professional, uh, um, season or the first professional season, uh, perfect so far. Um, they're the team to beat in the league. And it looks like at this point, the spring season is, you know, all but wrapped up for them. I mean, probably need a couple more wins here to secure that, but, uh, it's looking pretty good so far. What's been the main key to success? Because obviously it's been a very impressive start for a team that I think, a lot of people certainly would have had in, in their top end, but maybe, you know, I, I didn't hear Cavalry that much thrown around as, mm-hmm. you know, going to be at least this good uh, in in the early going. Yeah, that's a really great question. Tommy Wilden Jr., and I've had the opportunity just to get to know him over the years with the work that he did with Foothills. And, of course, for people that may not know, they won the PDL championship last year. And he has Mm -hmm. 10 players from that roster graduating here to the Cavalry roster. And it's almost like they've already played a season together. And that includes Marco Carducci, who was between the pipes when Foothills won that championship last year. So a lot of his back line. And it just, they have this chemistry. And what I really like is the complimentary players that he's brought in. So it doesn't matter if he's starting his normal CPL roster or the rosters that he started during the Canadian championship, where he gave some other players starting minutes, everybody seems to fit in together nicely. And not to forget that Mason Trafford hasn't even played a minute of soccer so far this season. I think he's very close to returning, but if you read a lot of those preview pieces, like you had mentioned, People had him pegged as one of the strongest potentially defenders in the league, and he hasn't even played. So you look at that back line, and then you have leadership coming from Nick Ledgerwoods, who obviously has the international experience, but he was also with Tommy Wilden Jr. last year through that foothill stage and has been able to work his way to this roster. So I just think that 
for the Cavalry, they're just a few steps ahead of everybody, just given what they experienced last year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, new league, new teams, uh, that, that experience has definitely been paying off. Um, how, how have they been received in the community so far? I know there's been, I've heard some concerns about traffic and, and perhaps stadium location as well, but certainly the stadium is beautiful. Um, probably the best venue for me in the entire league. And it just feels like a soccer stadium, which is, you know, interesting considering obviously uh, equestrian is, is what the stadium grounds are known for. Uh, but how, how have things been going on kind of the grassroots level in Calgary so far? This has been such a long time in the making. Calgary hasn't had a professional soccer team in decades, Mm -hmm. essentially. I was a very, very young child when there was a team here. So people were thirsty and hungry for soccer at a high level in this city. And Calgary is, what, a million and three people. The city itself, if you've never been here, it's very, very spread out. And particularly where the venue is located, it's on the southern city limit. So let's say you live north. It is a bit of a haul to get there. But when you get there, it is, like you said, it is so worth it. Obviously, you've got a grass pitch, so that's already a check mark. But the venue itself is stunning. And they've done such a good job. And you had said it is um, a horse venue. So it's a horse jumping venue and it's world-class. They host world-class events there. So they know how to host people. Mm. And they've been, what I've liked is they've been very receptive of constructive feedback. So that first game, traffic was a gong show. And construction is a bit of an issue because they're doing highway work right in front of the area. So that was an issue. Parking was an issue. People getting into the venue was an issue. So obviously, you know, mob mentality, everybody gets on social media, <laughs> complains. And they, but the thing is, they listened. So the next game was only, what, three, four, five days away, and they mm-hmm. already were working on ways to fix it. And I know a lot of people, I like to read a little bit of reaction online and on the message boards and stuff, and people had complained that the, some of the ticket prices were too expensive if you're in a non-supporter section. And now they're listening to that and they're making some adjustments. So that's what I really like about the club and about the venue is that they're willing to listen because I think they, they know they could be on a gold mine here. And I don't, I certainly don't want to look too far ahead and I'm knocking on wood, but with a potential date against the Whitecaps, mm. it could be in July. I mean, they want to put their best foot forward in terms of having such a excellent product. So I think they've done a good job, and I like that they've been receptive to the feedback that they've been getting so far. Yeah, it is good to hear that you know a team in their first season is is willing to be flexible like that. I mean, that's that, that's important in the Canadian Premier League. That you know, even if there are some bumps in your in the road, you know, they they can learn from them quickly and move on. And it's good to hear that Calvary, uh, both on and off the field, have been able to do that so far. So definitely mm-hmm. the team to watch in, in the league. Um, so far this season and like you mentioned uh, I, I actually agree I think they're going to make some big waves in the Voyagers Cup this year um, which is obviously exciting for for the league the, yeah. the further this league can go in this competition the better it it looks on them especially in this first season um, so yeah thank you very much for for joining me this week um, and yeah certainly looking forward to to the Women's World Cup uh, as, it, as it comes up as I said only 10 days away now. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it. 
Yeah, no problem. And uh, when we come back, Benedict Rhodes awaking the red will be on to talk about Toronto FC and the Canadian men's national team. Welcome back to the Footy Talks podcast. We are now joined by Waking the Reds' Benedict Rhodes for a quick recap of Toronto FC and the Canadian men's national team news for this week as well. Benedict, great to have you back on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's, uh, let's start with the men's team, uh, who this week announced their 23-man squad for the CONCACAF Gold Cup. Um, we, I kind of thought for months that this was going to be a pretty predictable group, but uh, all of a sudden it wasn't. Uh, all of a sudden they made a, you know, John Herdman... Uh, made a couple of surprising picks for this team. Uh, let, let's start with the squad itself. Uh, you know who were who were some of the surprising omissions for you? Because uh, there there were a couple that uh, I think caught a lot of people off guard. Yeah, I think uh, I think the biggest one's probably Mandricard James. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the defense at this point for the Canadian men's national team is probably the weakest area of the field, and I think uh, with the possible injury concerns with Daniil Henry. That could that could be a problem going forward. So I'm a little bit surprised to see him off the roster. Um, but I know you can still switch them uh, based on if, if an injury concern. So mm-hmm. that could be something that has to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting uh, to see that, right? Because Mandricar James is one of those guys that I think a lot of people would have had basically penned into their their starting eleven for this tournament and. Um, John Herdman did mention, he did allude to some, I guess, club concerns, potentially Mandicar James could have been one of those as a player who's, you know, just starting to get himself, uh, some, some footing himself in the, in the Danish league. Um, so potentially that, uh, that might be something that's happening there. Um, but yeah, at the same time, that's a, that's a concerning backline for, for the Canadian men's national team without Mandicar James. I mean, um, you've got Ashton Morgan probably as the only true left-back option with uh, confirmation that Sam Adekugbe, as well as David Edgar at centre-back, were injured or would have been called into this this roster as well. Um, do you think we'll see Mark Anthony Kay there, or what's your take on kind of the back line in general now that, uh, now that we know at least two players that I think some of us certainly thought were going to start for this team are, are not available to John Herdman? Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll probably see Mark Anthony Kay at left back. I mm-hmm. think he's probably the best option there. I think midfield's deeper than than defense. Yeah. So I think uh, John Herman may opt to play uh, Mark Anthony Kay at left back. Although he has also been playing Alfonso Davies there, but I think that's probably not the way he's going to do it in the Gold Cup because I think I know you also had Davies penciled in your front three um, for this team. So I think we'll probably see Kay at left back. Yeah, that's an interesting one too because obviously, uh, as you said, the midfield is certainly more deep than the defense. So is the attack too, right? So uh, if you're going to play Davies at left wing, then you're keeping one of Junior Hoylet or Jonathan David out of the lineup, which I mean, uh, you know, a Premier League quality winger. Oh, I guess not, not anymore. Sorry. Sorry, Junior. But <laughs> a player who played in the Premier League this season and, a, uh, um, and you know, one of the top prospects. Uh, certainly in in North American soccer, on the um, you know one one of the two might have to go on the bench if if you're playing Davies up there. So that uh, that's going to be interesting to see. So maybe we see him at left back as well. Though Herdman has very been pretty clear that he wants uh, Davies as an attacker, and I think you made the good point that 
you know, Davies is their most dynamic attacking player. So you want that player to be as close to the opposition um, defense as possible. And and we've seen Alfonso kind of drift out of games a little bit when he's he's in that left back position. Um, I wanted to talk about with you too, though, the, the biggest surprise on this roster. I think uh, the, the biggest surprise inclusion, I mean, there were people who were surprised when he was included in the 40-man roster. Uh, so to see him in the 23-man roster as well, um, was pretty pretty shocking for a lot of people, and that being Noble Okello. Now, John Herdman's made a point in the past, certainly with the women's national team, of bringing in young players and getting them integrated into their their team, kind of regardless of the competition, and th- that could be the case here. Um, but you're someone who's seen Noble Okello probably a lot more than uh, maybe 90% or, or more of even Canadian soccer media as someone who ha- has watched Toronto FC 2 a fair amount this year. Um, what have you made of Noble and, and why perhaps John Herdman has included him in this team? Yeah, I think he's, he's still a little bit raw in terms of, uh, like he's just sort of fine tuned himself a little bit, but I think he's on, on the verge of making the Toronto FC first team. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, having him, I think you made, you made this point on Twitter, uh, having him play in a camp with the Tebow Hutchinson will be huge for him. Cause I think you mentioned that they have a very similar game in that central midfield role. So I think that's probably the main reason why he's in the team. I don't think he'll see a lot of minutes. But uh, yeah, I think it's just to be integrated with the squad because I think he will be a, a national team player for many years to come. Yeah, certainly if he can kind of become that replacement for uh, Hutchinson, that's, that'll be a big uh, weight off the Canadian men's national team uh, shoulders. And uh, he's a player who does have that potential, certainly. I mean, we know Wolfsburg were heavily interested in him, made a couple of bids when he, or shortly after he trained with, uh, with their team. So there, there is a lot of people who believe very highly in this guy. So um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if he gets any time because John Herdman has said that basically anyone on this roster, there's an opportunity for them to play because the travel schedule for Canada is, is absurd for this tournament. I mean, they're playing at altitude one game um, in, in Denver. They're playing literally across the country uh, over the space of the first couple of games. So uh, it's there's going to have to be some um, some roster considerations there. And uh, perhaps you see someone like Noble Okello come into a game. Even, uh, I mean... I kind of doubt they need to do any cap tying here because they have the Nations League as well. It's not like you have to wait every two years now to uh, necessarily cap tie players, which uh, is a massive positive for the Canadian men's national team program, (laughs) uh, as well as other programs, I suppose. But um, yeah, I wouldn't worry so much about the cap tying, but yeah, potentially giving him an opportunity, you know, even uh, against a team like Martinique might be, uh, might be big for him. Um, So let's move on to, uh, talking some Toronto FC as well. Um, I guess things far less positive on that front uh, with another loss to uh, San Jose. Uh, again, just massive concerns about the defense. Uh, two goals allowed to Chris Wondolowski that, uh, I mean, seemed incredibly avoidable. I, I know he's, you know, he's legitimately one of the best strikers this league has ever seen in terms of his ability to uh, finish chances. Um, which again, U.S. men's national team fans will be screaming about that Belgium game. I can hear them. I can hear them right now. But in MLS, he's been very good at it, and uh, now the league's all-time leading scorer. And you know, this it's it's so frustrating. Greg Vanny mentioned this after the game because this is exactly what you prepare for. This is the player you've been watching all week and saying, "Okay, this is the guy that could hurt us. This is how he'll hurt us," and he was still able to do it. So, um, I, I guess another frustrating day at the park for the backline. 
Yeah, definitely. I know uh, both Vanny and Drew Moore both mentioned, like, Chris Wondolowski has now scored 150 goals in MLS, and 120 of them have been scored the exact same way. A cross in from the wing and just sort of redirect it in front, in the middle of the goal. And I know, uh, yeah, Drew Moore mentioned it as well after the game. Like, he and Hitman Chris Bavinga probably should have done a better job of tracking Wondolowski, like staying tight on him. Mm-hmm. So when that ball comes in, you clear it, or possibly even the fullbacks preventing that cross coming in from the in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that's been Toronto FC's issue all year. So it's almost we almost should have seen that coming. That uh, a player who's incredibly good at receiving balls from the wing and scoring uh, would hurt Toronto FC. I don't think anyone was particularly surprised that Wondolowski scored a couple of goals against Toronto. Um, but one of the things that certainly could help Toronto FC out wide that we saw in this game, and probably the lead positive for me was the play of Richie Larea. Um, you know, we've we've seen him a little bit further back this year as as a fullback, which he did, you know, decently enough at that position. But certainly, as he was pushed further into the attack, that's the best performance potentially he's had in his MLS career. I mean, scoring his first ever MLS goal. Um, could have had more. I mean, he set up some some good chances as well. What did you make of Larea and potentially, you know, the solution he could provide for Toronto FC as they still wait for their Tam winger to come in this summer? Yeah, I think if he keeps playing like that, he'll definitely be a good bridge between bringing in a Tam winger and present moment. I think um, offensively, he seemed sort of fearless, if that's the right word to use. Mm-hmm. Like he sort of just going out there and, and playing rather than... Um, like he sort of had little pressure on him, if you want to say that. Like, uh, he had, he had a lot of solid minutes before that game against San Jose, but he had never really had a full 90 or like the majority of a game to just go out there and, and show what he can do. And I think uh, that was a good advertisement for his play and I think a uh, performance that will uh, make Greg Vanny give him more minutes going forward. Yeah, another player who might get more minutes, especially with uh, the Gold Cup as well, Michael Bradley, uh, pretty likely to be called into the U.S. or squad, you would think. Um, so that would be Liam Frazier, of course, and uh, he was a player who we saw for the first time get to play some MLS minutes without um, Michael Bradley, or at least without another solid midfielder in there as well, a veteran midfielder. So he kind of had to make that role his own, and um, you know, pretty solid performance from Liam Frazier. Uh, I think a lot of us have been waiting to see him get more minutes this season. And uh, given this opportunity, I think he, he had a, you know, at least a decent performance. Obviously it wasn't perfect, but uh, good enough to show that he's still got some potential and could be a key player for Toronto FC while, uh, you know, Bradley is away at the Gold Cup. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, defensively sound. Um, I think on the ball, he was much better than he had been in previous appearances. Mm-hmm. I think his, his passing was good. His, he sort of dribbled around a couple of players at one point. He seemed to have a pretty good game on the offensive side of the ball, but also defensively a couple of times tracking back, helping out the center backs. So I think uh, if he can sort of do that box-to-box kind of role, like we saw Michael Bradley doing, a bit, especially earlier in the season, I think he, he'll definitely be a, a good player for Greg Vanny if Michael Bradley does get called up. Yeah, and... Uh... Well, I mean, he might be important uh, for the moment right now as uh, Toronto FC, uh, potentially without Michael Bradley for this uh, next game, Jonathan Osorio looking um, not great as well. I mean, he might even be a concern for Canada at the Gold Cup, which uh, at some point we'll get into the depth chart on this show um, about that. But yeah, a couple of important midfielders missing. Um, So, you know, 
as far as injury concerns go, what do we think about the team that um, they might be playing for the next couple of games going forward? And who has a big opportunity here to kind of step in and, and make a name for themselves? I think both the players you've mentioned, Liam Fraser and Richie Larray, are going to have a good opportunity to play. I think uh, we're not really sure on the timeline for Osorio Bradley. Mm-hmm. And also Auro is also not, he's, he's questionable for right. the Friday night's game. So I think uh, if that's also the case, you could see Richie Larea playing at right back in Vancouver if Auro can't play, which would potentially also open a spot for Jay Chapman to maybe get some minutes. I know a lot of people were screaming for him to come off the bench or even start against San Jose. Mm-hmm. So I think um, he could be another player who could benefit not only now, but going into that Gold Cup run. Someone who could get increased minutes and hopefully take advantage of them. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I wonder if, and we've seen kind of allusions to this, I wonder if we start to see Laurent Simon start to take that right-back role. I know this is something that a lot of Toronto FC fans have been asking for for a little bit. I mean, he literally played the role for Belgium, which um, I, I think might be a slightly better version of the Reds than Toronto FC. But, um, you know, he's he's a player that I think might be better suited for, for that role at this stage in his career. And given what we've seen from the right side for Toronto FC this season, you know, that might be an opportunity to improve on that role there from within uh, without even having to go out and, and bring another player. I think at the very least, it's it's worth a look. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Simon will be good in that right-back spot. I think you mentioned he played for, was there for Belgium. I think uh, on the right back, like, I think he is probably better defensively than Arrow is. Mm-hmm. Arrow's he can he can sprint up the right side and do those overlap runs and cross the ball in. But I think if you're looking for defense, which is what TFC are looking for at the moment, I think probably Laurent Simon should definitely see some minutes there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what what they do over the next couple of games and. Um, like I alluded to, they, they have, do have a game against Vancouver tonight. We obviously won't really preview that because by the time you guys are listening to it, that game will be over. Um, but it should definitely be a very interesting all-Canadian match. Um, so, yeah, we'll definitely have some reaction to that, as well as a full Gold Cup preview on the next week's edition of the show. Um, Benedict, thanks for joining me on this week's show. And thanks for having me. And uh, to the rest of you, thanks for listening. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes and give us your feedback. Have a good weekend.